Oops, sorry. And welcome to Dead Mom Society. I'm Kate and Mel is across the world right now. Uh, We did not record the intro and outro before I moved to Scotland and we couldn't figure out how to put a new intro and outro on an episode that's already been recorded from two different places. So it was a little bit confusing. So this week we're not going to have regular intros and outros, but I did just want to pop on and say hello um, and say that, that we're super, super proud of this episode and we're really looking forward to having you guys listen to it. If you have any feedback, please let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts, um, and we hope you enjoy. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Well, today we have a very, very special guest with us, Gil Schenzel, also known as National Park Mom, and more importantly, known as Anna's Mom. And we are going to just kind of talk about her journey. Anna was um, a very important person, obviously, in a lot of her friends' lives. Um, and I'll let Gil take it from there. So we'll just start off with what was the name of your person who you lost? Uh, that was my daughter, Anna Schenzel. Yeah, Anna Rose. Yeah, okay. great kid. And what would you say was your favorite thing about Anna? Oh boy, that's a tough <laughs> one because I really kind of liked everything about her. Um, mostly her infectious laugh and just the way that... Uh, I, I, well, you knew her. She was mm-hmm. just, she just kind of had that loving butt kicking way about her that, you know, she would love you to the end of the earth. And, uh, but, you know, if, if she felt like you were not being loving enough or kind enough to others, she'd call you out on it. And <laughs> yeah, she was an accountability buddy. Yeah, she, she was, was an accountability buddy. It's yeah. so true. Can you tell yeah. us just like a little bit about Anna as a person and oh. experience with her? She just was always smiling and even, you know, in the throes of her horrible, painful cancer, you know, she never complained. Just, I I mean, I've, I just, I can't imagine the pain she was in and just really never complained at all about it other than I sure wish I could go play volleyball, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, do an activity. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, of course, wasn't capable of doing that, but yeah, but it just, just an amazing person. I mean, yeah. you know, I want to be like her when I grow up. You know, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all something want to, be to like aspire her. to for sure. That that type of attitude and uh, just well, no, I don't want to say stoicism, but it, she was very stoic. She was um, a rock. She was a rock. Yeah, yeah, life. yeah. And it was like nothing could really waver her sense of self, her sense of purpose. Right. It stayed with her right. forever, and yeah. you could always count on her. Right. Yeah, she was just that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite memory of Anna? Oh, boy, I've had a lot of them. And, mm. of course, um, that's kind of one of the grief problems I have. A, a lot of people say they experience a lack of memory from grief. It just mm. kind of blanks them out and they can't right right I'm I'm having the opposite problem everything reminds me of Anna and so um, I actually had a friend one time say to me because I was pointing out something oh Anna and I did that you know Mm -hmm. on that bike path or something and she said she looked at me and she goes everything's a memory for you isn't it 
And I was just like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> but one of my very, I guess my most recent great memory of her was uh, about a month before she died. We had a we had a bed set up in the living room so I could always be near her and help her. And I was in the kitchen making dinner and um, she called into the kitchen and she goes, Mom, thanks for giving me experiences and not things. And I just felt like, <laughs> I mean, I always felt like the luckiest mom in the world being Anna's mom, but boy, that was, that was pretty special. It's so. a beautiful testament to how you were and are as a parent is, you know, I feel like that's such a beautiful thing for you to understand that you did give your daughter experiences, even though her life was not as long as it should have been. Yeah. What a cool thing to hear that she knew while she was alive that her life was all lived and you did that for her. Yeah, I used, to say, <laughs> I used to say that kid packed more into 20 years than most people do in 80. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she did. Yeah. She really did. Yeah, she really did. Yeah. Yeah. She was so aware. And I think you know what I mean. Like, she had this foresight about her mm -hmm. that you explained, too. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw in her ever since she was a baby? You know, from the minute she was born, she would look at you like she knew what was going on you know it was just like she had this innate sense of what was happening around her even though she couldn't articulate it or anything and um I don't know she just she had a, a special way of being in the world um and bringing a lot of light and love to that world not just to us as her parents but you know to all her friends and, oh absolutely even yeah. the people who mistreated Anna yeah. She would yeah. be the first one to defend them. Yeah. Even after she would be hardly mistreated by them. Yeah. She would be the first one to stop any negative talk about them. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think like one of my best friends in college and she was best friends with Anna too. We learned so much from her mm -hmm. in that sense, especially. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to get caught up in complaining, caught up in negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. Negativity is as contagious as positivity. Mm -hmm. And Anna always flipped it to the positive side yeah always yeah it would be like okay you're right i know i could do better here like oh okay well that's interesting you bring that up because shortly after she died um i got a couple of phone calls from kids that she knew that that hadn't maybe been the nicest to her and um they wanted to apologize and they said I want to live the Anna life now. I'm turning my oh. life around, and I am going to live the Anna life. And so that's kind of what we call it now, the Anna life, <laughs> because of those oh. encounters with those kids. How special is that? Yeah. So, she, you know, she wow. She uh, she did good at changing lives and what changing, yeah. She really did. Yeah. She didn't tolerate hate of any kind. <laughs> no, she didn't. No, she didn't. She's yeah. also so tough. Like, maybe yeah. one of the toughest women I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I have this, like, vivid memory, which I know I've shared with you, Gail, but <laughs> when we were working out with that other friend I mentioned before mm -hmm. in the gym, and Anna had an ankle injury. She'd broken her She'd ankle. broken her ankle. Yeah, she was in a boot cast. Yeah. <laughs> she was. So it's a minor injury, you know. <laughs> to Anna, it was. So. Oh, my God. But we, you know, we... Um, I have a couple memories of her in the boot because... Everyone on campus would talk about it. There was this online platform 
maybe you know that yik yak <laughs> uh-huh. and it would just be like anonymous postings from mm-hmm. your area i remember one day um kisa and i um the friend we're going to go work out and we were like anna like can we do something with you like do you want to do abs or something and such she's like no we're going to the gym. I'm getting on the tread or the elliptical. You're getting on the treadmill. We're we're doing this. And the next like hour or so, we see all these yik yak comments. Who was that chick on the elliptical with the boot? Like, what a badass! Like, who was that girl? Wait, did you see that girl with a boot on the elliptical? And then we would go and do abs, and she's doing like leg lifts with her boot on. And my friend and I are barely making it doing leg lifts without the like 15 pound boot on. She has her broken ankle and her boot doing it. Or we'd go like play volleyball, of course, Mm because she loved it. And we had volleyball lessons with Anna all the time. We would like hit the ball. We would practice our spikes. We'd practice our bumps, our sets. She was like our coach. We call her Coach Anna. And um, we were out in the sand courts one day and she had her boot. And Keith and I are like, okay, she like she needs the trash bag over her boot if she's going to do this. Like there's no way we're talking her out of it. We already know she's Anna. There's no way we're talking her out of doing her favorite sport, but she needs this like bag. And I called Gil and I was like, Gil, how do we make Anna wear a trash bag? Like, I don't really think she's supposed to be doing this. Blah, blah, blah. And Gil, you were just like, good luck. <laughs> it's true. I, you know, what was it? Just the first week of college, I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the phone rang and I saw it was Anna's phone and I was like, oh, yay, you know, and I answered it. And Mel goes, Mrs. Schenzel, um, we're on the sand volleyball court and Anna, should she be playing volleyball? And I'm like, oh no, she shouldn't. <laughs> I was like, is there a trash bag around? Can you put a trash bag on it so she won't get blisters? And yes. I was like, you know, and I did. I said, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, how do we get her off? You're like, you won't. So, you won't. so <laughs> just good find luck. a trash bag and get it on her. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I remember we didn't have any like near us. We were running to dorms. We were calling our friends. Do you have trash bags left? What are we going to do? It was awesome. I love it. She was just so tough. There was nothing that was going to stop yeah. her. Yeah. She had her convictions about her. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So if you can't tell, listeners, Mel was one of Anna's best friends. And so that is why we have a lovely girl here to interview, because Anna was a loss for both of them. Yeah. And she still yeah. is very much. Um, and that was a beautiful memory. And just speaking on memories again, can you both, this question for both of you, tell us about maybe a time that you can recall where you had your first memory of her that made you smile? And can you talk about a little bit of how that transition happens? Because I know for me, when I talk about my mom, sometimes other people, it's in recent months, other people, when I talk about her, it's gone from a, oh, to a, oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit too. Yes. We're like, we love talking about our loved ones that we've lost because it's just our way of keeping them alive. And it's our, it's our way of honoring them mm-hmm. and feeling yeah. them when they're here with us still. Yeah. And memories are usually a happy thing, but sometimes... It can make other people uncomfortable, or it can also make you cry. So can you both tell us about times where um, you had a memory of Anna and it made you feel really good and really comforted? Uh, you mean after their yes. death? That's mm-hmm. uh, some recurring memory yes. that keeps coming up? Hmm, I'm going to have to think about that because I have so many of them. Yeah, yeah, you have all you go. like 21 years of memories? <laughs> okay. I think one that I think of often is the reason I started running. Um, uh-huh. And now I've been running for... 
eight, nine years, have done multiple half marathons, marathons, all in honor of Anna. She's literally the reason I run long distance. I just remember hanging out with her one day. We were still in high school, or maybe it was the summer after graduation or something. And she was like, do you want to go for a run now? And I was like, well, <laughs> how long? I'm like, I do like up to a mile and that's it. Like I like sprinting. I hate distance. Like I really had set in my head. I'm never running distance. That's disgusting to me. And Anna was like, no, we're going to run four miles at Bergen Peak, which is a lot of hills, a lot of rocks. It's trail running. Yeah, it's a lot of elevation. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh. And I'm like, I'm sure. Like in my head, I'm like, I'm sure she like takes breaks. Like we probably walk part of it, whatever. No. Anna was trailblazing so hard. We were running at like an 8.30 minute like mile pace. Oh gosh, going what? Yes, up this steep mountain. And I just remember trailing along and I'm like, and I have to walk. And we were at like the last strip and she's like, if you don't run, you're going to regret it. And we ran as fast as we could and I've never been so exhausted and happy at the same time. And I just remember that feeling of both of us laying on the ground stretching after and we were just like, you know, swimming in our endorphins, but also just laughing together about how she was my coach again, you know? She was pushing me mm-hmm. where she knew I could be and I didn't think I could. Like, she pushed me all the way to what she knew my potential was, whether or not I saw it in myself. Mm. And so that, I mean, carried through our relationship for forever. Yeah, so it probably still comes up for you sometimes when you maybe need a little bit of extra push. It's like, well, Anna believed in me. Even if I don't believe oh, in myself, lot. she still believes in me. Oh, yeah. Every time I think That's I beautiful. can't make it to the finish line of anything in life, relationships, running, obviously. I think of Anna and I'm just like, oh, whatever. Anna's telling me I can do it. I, I know Anna, okay. Not gonna do that negative self-talk anymore. I get it, I get it. It's awesome. Yeah, she really did. She was, you know, my dad was like that too. He was just such a positive person and, and just really saw and believed the best in everyone. Uh, and really, you know, like he used to always tell me, and this is way before women's rights and libs and all that. You know, <laughs> he would go, Berta, there is nothing you can't do except back up a trailer. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that so much. Oh you like fair. But Anna was like that too, you know. She just saw she saw people's potentials. She could like look through you right to your soul mm-hmm. and say, No, you can do it. And, yes. and she wouldn't accept no for an answer, you know, unless you just really right. dug your feet in. But, mm-hmm. but usually you proved her right. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be yeah. like, oh, yeah. yeah, I could. Okay. Thanks yeah. for pushing me. Yeah. I think kind of along that line of um, bravery and everything, one, one of the most poignant memories I have, and I wasn't even in the room when it happened, unfortunately, but um, one of the kind of heartbreaking if you will (laughs) was uh she was taking chemo one day at at the cancer center and um she thought she could eat something so I quick ran across the street to the hospital to get a little salad for both of us and um I didn't find out about this until her funeral um her nurse said that she and Dr. Lou had gone into the into the room where she was having chemo and um said, you know, Anna, um, what, if, what if this doesn't work? Uh, the ke- meaning the chemo. Mm-hmm. And she's laying there in the bed, and she looked at them both and smiled big, and she said, that's okay. That's okay. She said, 
they walked out of the room bawling their eyes out, and Anna was laying there smiling. <laughs> you know, that's okay. She was making them feel better for having tried. You well, know, having poison run through her veins. Well, yeah, for the worst ones there are trying to kick this. So, um, you know, that kind of, and, and that was kind of one of her favorite sayings was that maturity doesn't come with years. Maturity comes with the damage. And, the, and I think that's really quite true of all of our journeys in life. You know, I, I look at those of us who have suffered great loss or great trauma of some sort and, and have dealt with it, you know, or are continuing to deal with it as best as we can. And, and I see that. You know, we're all warriors. Anna was a remarkable warrior, but we're all warriors too. And I think, I think that's living the Anna life is trying to emulate that warrior mentality of not that we want to hurt anyone, but we're going to be as strong as we can possibly be in light of what's happening to us. Yes. And that I think so I think that's a wonderful legacy. That's beautiful. <laughs> I have a list of, it's called quotable quotes on mm-hmm. my phone. And it's just things that make me laugh really hard or mm-hmm. something that I maybe like see or hear someone say that I just want to look back to. And I have that quote written down. Yeah. Yeah. I have Anna's quote. Yeah. And I didn't know her, but I feel like I can really sense who she was from both of you and from Mel all the time. She mentions your daughter nearly every time we hang out because that's clearly how she was. She was impactful and still is, obviously. Yeah. You know, people's lives are still being changed by her legacy. That is so beautiful. And what a loss. <laughs> but also, what a gain, you know? Like, right. this is amazing that so many people still hold her so dearly right. in their hearts. That's So how does it feel to have, you know, that sort of impact? I'm super proud of her because even after her passing... Um, I think, you know, as you know, I went out on the, uh, and did all the national parks, ran in all the national parks to bring awareness to neuroendocrine cancer, because mm-hmm. uh, it is probably the number one most misdiagnosed cancer in the world. Um, and so while I was out there on the trail, sleeping on the ground and running in all the parks, you know, people would, people would ask me, what are the zebra tights for? What are, because zebra is, you know, the mascot of neuroendocrine cancer. Mm-hmm. It's a horse of a different color. It, mm-hmm. it acts totally different from other cancers. And, you know, so I would explain or I'd be asked to speak somewhere or something, you know, and it was, I think one of the most rewarding things that would happen to me out there is people would either meet me in a park somewhere and walk with me or talk to me and they'd go, you know, I, I read about your story and Anna's story and if it hadn't been for you or seeing you on TV or something, I would have never known I had neuroendocrine cancer. My doctor told me, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Because that's what a lot of doctors say when they see this cancer. They think it's benign. It's not benign. And so every time someone would say, because of your daughter and her experience with this cancer, I'm going to live a longer life because of it. And, and I just, 
I'm so proud of her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so stinking proud of her. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself, though, too, because oh. that's also because of your willingness to talk about this. As difficult as it is, you are saving lives, mm-hmm. well. and it's because you are generous and you have a giving heart. It, she got that from you, though. Um, I, I hope you recognize that. that. She did. I hope you recognize that. Uh, she's she's just you know my total inspiration in life. You know. I'm sure you were hers yeah. too. Well, and I you hope were. so. <laughs> I mean, from the conversations I had with Hannah, yes, I can affirm that that is true. Well, we we had a great great relationship, and I was always very grateful for that. You know. Yeah. And I think that came from. When she was little, she was um, she was different. She was different. She got overstimulated super easy. Um, you know, we couldn't go to a play. We couldn't go to the theater without her having a total meltdown. And it's like, what, what's going on with this kid? You know, I didn't know. I'd never been a mom before. And, um, you know, we kind of figured out what was happening. And you know, I, at that point, I was getting lots of advice from lots of people. And I just, I went home and I just really, you know, and prayed about it. And I just said, you know what, I'm throwing all this information out the window and I am going to love this kid and romance her heart and we will get through this. And we just communicated about those things. And you know, it's like, you tell me if you, how do you feel when this first starts happening? And she'd go, well, I just, I feel busy. And I'm like, okay, that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it the busy feeling. And when you start feeling that, you just tug on my sleeve and we will get out of there. And, you know, we will make this work. And, you know, it was just, I, I, you know, I wish if I had any parenting advice, it'd be forget what all the books say and what everybody says, you know, just listen to your child's heart and just parent that way. <laughs> yes. Wow. It's profound. I know my, my mom used to say, you know, she would always profess that your children teach you how to raise them. Yes. And that sounds exactly like your experience. Your mom's right. I liked Laura. (laughs) (laughs) So on the the line of talking about Anna's cancer, Mm -hmm. can you tell us about the moment you found out she had cancer? Wow. Uh, Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. It was so, you know, a lot of times it's not, it's not like on TV Mm -hmm. where I go into the doctor. And he says, you have cancer. It's not like that. It's these little things that are kind of leading up to, and of course, this is a very complicated diagnosis. So the lead up is going to be complicated too. Um, As you know, her first year in college, she started having issues. She had a lot of broken bones. She had a super rare condition that was diagnosed in January called popliteal artery entrapment. And it's like so incredibly rare. About the only people who ever get it are Olympic weightlifters. And usually male ones, right? Yes, and usually males, right. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm like, she's got what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, she would pass out when she'd, like, go up for a jump at a volleyball. 
And it's like, well, that's wow. not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we got that diagnosed, and we're thinking, okay, now what do we do? And so the only option was to go to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where there was an expert there. And we got there, and he did the first surgery, and he came out, and he goes, well, it went pretty good, but I have never seen this before. The the entrapment is not only of her artery, it's of her major ner- uh, nerve in that leg and the major uh, vein. He goes, never seen this before. And so, um, you know, he goes, you know, we'll give her a couple of weeks to recover here in the hospital, then we're going to do the other leg. So that was the other thing. I mean, oh. nobody's ever had two legs of this Whoa. condition. And she both her legs were of this. So they, you know, after that got done cutting her from stem to stern um Mm -hmm. you know after a month there we came home but I noticed while we were there right before she went into her first surgery I noticed something very unusual she had like almost um stubble on her face and I was I was you know caressing her face and I said it's gonna be okay because she'd never been had surgery before I said oh how long have you had that she goes, oh, uh, you know, and she just shook it off. And I said, it's okay, don't worry about it. And she went into surgery. I went out into the waiting room, and I started calling doctors here in Evergreen, and, you know, good good doctors. And they said, well, call as soon as you get back from Baltimore and bring her in. And so we did. But we're coming back from Baltimore, you know, we're in... <laughs> Both her legs are on pillows on my lap on the airline because she can't walk, you mm-hmm. know. And um, we get home thinking, okay, the worst is behind us. We're going to rehab. She's, you know, she's determined to play volleyball in the fall at school. And, you know, all's going to be well. So we go into this doctor, and he does a blood draw and an exam. And he says, it's not what I thought it was. He goes, I think it's something else and he goes this blood draw is $650 I don't know if you want to do it or not and I said do it mm-hmm. you know I don't care if the insurance doesn't cover it do it and he calls the next day and he goes the numbers can't be right he said I but I want you to go see this this endocrinologist in Denver at PSL she's great you know so we go down there she repeats the blood draw and it comes back even worse than before. I mean, like crazy numbers they have never seen before. And um, she's like, this looks like neuroendocrine cancer. And I don't think it's a coincidence, but the best doctor in the country, if not the world, just moved his practice here to Denver six months ago mm-hmm. or something like that. And uh, so she goes, I've already called him. He's just across the street. You're in tomorrow at 2.30 be there and you know of course nobody slept that night thinking oh my kid has cancer are, are you sure no this can't be right you know so bad we go dream. yeah right bad dream right I'm gonna wake up I'm gonna wake up yeah and uh I remember driving in there and just about to turn into the parking lot of the Rocky Mountain Cancer Center and feeling just this I mean, I've never had a panic attack before, but I think I was pretty darn close. Uh, I just, it's like, this can't be real. This can't be real. I'm going to turn the car around. We're going home. I'm going to protect my baby and, you know, all those mommy things, mama bear things. 
but you know, we did the right thing. We went in and we talked to Dr. Liu and he said, yeah, this, this is, uh, this is not good. We're going to take, you know, but he was very comforting and very reassuring. And, uh, so that started the journey of knowing that she had one of the rarest cancers in the world. And within her cancer are 80 different kinds of neck cancer. We call it neck cancer for neuroendocrine tumors. And uh, she has one of the rarest ones of the rare. Um, you know, don't know why. I can't, can't drive myself crazy because I used to drive myself crazy going, why, 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 you know? Yeah, and how could you not? Right, yeah. So just when we thought everything was going to get better, everything got way worse. And she ended up having to have a 10-hour surgery to remove nine or ten pounds of tumors from her abdomen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She she looked like she had a giant Mercedes-Benz scar on her chest wow. and abdomen. Yeah. So she could she, like, feel? I mean, did she know that something was wrong in her abdomen before? Or? Yeah, I okay. think so, because she goes, Mom, I, I, feel like I, I feel like I look like I'm pregnant, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I said, you look to me yeah I don't I'm not seeing anything yeah. and, she, and she'd go do 400 more sit-ups you know yeah just knew something was wrong but didn't know what right and mm-hmm. so Dr. Lou said well part of the reason the surgery took so long was because I went through scalpel after scalpel oh my God. because her that muscles were so terrible. strong mm-hmm. you know he we joked about it later he goes yeah I thought I was gonna have to get a chainsaw out because her <laughs> muscles were so strong <laughs> Tracks for Anna. Like, yeah. talk about pushing us to do more sit-ups while she has her boot on. Like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that totally tracks. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. funny how people do that though. Because like, I just when I think about that, when I think about my mom, just strong people making excuses for not feeling their best, which mm-hmm. is so. It's funny because we praise it in some ways, and other ways, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You really didn't think about this. I can recall my mom. She had a tumor the size of a grapefruit mm-hmm. on her ovary or it was a cyst the size of a grapefruit in her ovary um and which is, wasn't even related to her any of her cancers if you can believe that um she was just unlucky like that but yeah. we were at the beach and we called her Pinocchio because she couldn't bend like getting I just remember her getting in the pool and getting in the water and she was like she was just getting oh my god I feel so weightless I can finally not think about bending wow. but watching her get in and out of the pool was honestly hysterical because she couldn't <laughs> we just called her Pinocchio like she's just little wooden <laughs> body and then before she got diagnosed a third time she was like I just don't feel right but I don't know what it is I think it's the moon <laughs> I think the moon is just like making me mm-hmm. weird and I, we were just like yeah it's totally the moon mom don't worry about <laughs> it like what it's, it's always so the toughest funny. Yeah. it's those tough people who it just is. like yeah I'm fine that's so I'm good. Fine. I remember Anna being like so excited to start her like low carb diet. So he said, I promised we'd do it with her. So we were like checking carbs everywhere and she got like all her new snacks and she's like, this is going to totally help me lose weight because I'm just gaining weight. And both Kisa and I were like, you have the thinnest frame of anyone we've met. Like you look like a normal 20 year old girl to me. Like we want, we aspire to be where you're at, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is the toughest ones who are probably experiencing that immense pain. It's like she never wanted to burden anyone with mm-hmm. it, though. Mm-hmm. And she, you could tell, like, she was in pain when she broke her ankle, when this happened. Mm-hmm. And she would just never let anyone, like, dote on her because she wanted to make sure everyone around her was okay. Yeah. Like, nobody worry about me. I'm okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. 
And sure enough, all of this crazy stuff is happening inside of her body that right. doesn't happen to anyone. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. One in a billion people. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It sounds like she is one in a billion. So obviously, she couldn't just have some normal cancer. That would be right. so boring. God <laughs> forbid. God. Rolling your eyes. She had to do it the Anna way. <laughs> what do you mean I have a normal cancer? No, no, no. No, no. I'm one in a billion. <laughs> I even remember texting her when it was. Um, like pretty close to her first surgery for her legs for mm-hmm. that weird condition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you want to go for a run? And I didn't even know she had this condition because she didn't tell anyone in college. She was just like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling that great. Could we just like do sit-ups and like push-ups instead? And I was like, sure. Never. We never had any idea what was going on until we found out she was going to John Hopkins. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. She kept it on lock. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she wasn't just dealing with that stuff. She was dealing with some serious like relationship stuff with mm-hmm. horrible people mm-hmm. and going through all of the emotional drainage along with the physical drain. It yeah. was insane. That would, none of us had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, she was a tough girl. Like yeah. I said, I want to be like her when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. that was when you found out she had cancer. Yeah. She had neuroendocrine yeah. tumor cancer. Right. And how old was she with this diagnosis or what year? 20. She was 20. Yeah, first year of college. Okay. Yeah. She took gap year okay, uh, between, yeah, yeah, yeah. She went, you know, we took her to Europe and had some great experiences over there. And then she did a lot of backpacking and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of fun. She had, a, you know, gave That's herself great. a lot of great experiences. Good. Yeah. I have this like one image in my head of a picture of you guys in Greece uh-huh. on those little buggies or whatever they are. You guys were going scootering or something uh-huh. and you and her and Fred, you guys are all just beaming. You're so happy. You can see the winds blowing your hair back. I just have that like picture ingrained into my head from your stay in Greece. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a great time over there. Regretted nothing of that, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I think that's kind of important too. You know, don't don't say you're gonna do something someday. Just get out there and do it. Just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Just awesome. get out there and do it. Make someday today. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times do we see that in the people we know or know of? You know, oh, well, I'm going to retire next year. And when I do, then we're going to go travel. And one of them has a heart attack and dies. Or one of them has a stroke. Or one of them gets cancer. And tomorrow never comes. All those plans that they saved for and waited for because they were afraid to step out the door and go do it. I think the best gift that death and grief can give someone is a sense of urgency. Yes. Because when you don't have that sense of urgency, you just, you really don't know how short life is. And I think it's so impressive when people have that sense without grieving, really, because I didn't understand it until, until my mom's cancers was just like, holy crap, Mm -hmm. this is happening right now. And all your dreams and all things you want to do need to happen right now yeah. and it feels really really good to have that sense and just know that you are actually living every day with a purpose it feels really really good mm-hmm. but and it helps you you know combat complicated grief 
come yeah. through the bereavement. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It's the only thing you can control is right. yourself, right? I mean, like right. therapy talk. But <laughs> if your reaction to something that's bigger than all of us that none of us have control over is, you know, waiting still, you could miss opportunities mm-hmm. instead of controlling what you can and taking advantage of the time you still have. Right. Because right. you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, all three of us understand that in such a big way. Prognoses are not always great. I mean, doctors barely give them anymore because it's really hard to know. Yeah. You never know what complication could come with cancer because mm-hmm. with cancer comes all the complications of the disease, the chemo, the different treatments you're doing, the surgeries. Mm-hmm. There's just so much potential oh, yeah. to lose tomorrow. Yeah. It really makes you just savor like every single minute. Right. And just Absolutely. Want to experience it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, to be able to die with no regrets is is really a wonderful thing, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, I was with you when your mom died and, and the same thing. Your mom had no regrets other than she worried about you girls, you know, mm-hmm. and just wanted to make sure you you girls and your dad were going to be okay. She needed that reassurance. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, that's, uh, that's special. It's so special. Mm-hmm. So that was when you found out she had cancer. Yeah. When... Can you describe the moment when you found out she wasn't going to make it? That's more obscure because, as maybe both of you know from your experiences, that doctors are reticent to say it doesn't look good Mm -hmm. because of those strong variables in people. I mean, here was the strongest kid they had ever seen, you know, to come through a surgery like this, to endure three or four of the worst chemos on the planet all at the same time. I mean, you know, if anyone can do it, they're thinking this kid can do it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But I think... I think maybe... I was guarded um, because it, it, we were only nine months from her diagnosis mm-hmm. to her death. It was nine it months. It was so fast. So wow. fast. Sorry. Um, so it was, it was uh, kind of a whirlwind, <laughs> to say the least. But, um, you know, just trying to treasure every minute with her. And, you know, I really resented anyone who said well you need to get out you need to go and I was like oh hell no yeah <laughs> I am not leaving my daughter's side you know oh yeah Mm-mm. um you fiercely protected her oh yeah well, yeah I just you know I was not gonna miss a minute of it um but yeah I think maybe it was about um maybe about a month before she actually passed that we kind of kind of had a feeling that things weren't looking good uh, at her birthday. Well, actually, it was her birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, she, uh, on her birthday, she had chemo again, and uh, she was also doing an immunotherapy, too. Um, I guess they had stopped the chemo and tried immunotherapy at that time, but um, anyway, she was so sick, so sick, and, um, you know, turning 21, she wasn't out 
doing what all the other kids were doing on their 21st birthdays. I mean, she could, she was throwing her guts out, you know. So it was, um, it was bad because we knew that was not how she wanted to spend her 21st birthday. Um, yeah, and then, and then she about, um, I guess it was about two weeks before she passed, she kind of started turning into a zombie. Um, just, you know, she was still fighting. I mean, talk about, she can barely walk. And it's a two-story building for the cancer center. She would not allow me to go upstairs and get a wheelchair for her. Of course not. She was going to walk up. Oh, my God. And it's like she can barely stand. And, you know, it just took everything out of her. Uh, Same when people would come to visit. Mm -hmm. She would make this supreme sacrifice. And, And it doesn't sound like a sacrifice, but it was for her. She would sit up out of bed and try to sit there and talk to them instead of laying there. I vividly remember, I vividly remember coming to visit her and um, I had like brought a book or something and we were talking and you were there, you were just kind of like cleaning up and Anna and I were just talking and she's like, oh, excuse me. And she had to puke because she had just had chemo a few days before Mm -hmm. and she missed the bathroom um, and she slipped in it. And I remember her being like, oh my gosh. And she got down on her hands and knees and she started cleaning it up when she was so weak. Yes. So then I got on my hands and knees, and I was like, you get up. You're not cleaning your puke up right now. I'm going to clean it up. And then I hear Gil's mama bear voice in the background. Neither of you are cleaning that up. I am. Sit down. Like You're like, absolutely not. It was just all of us trying to just like, yeah. what the heck is yeah. happening? But yeah. she really did. She would, yeah. She like set things up. She offered to get me water. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like... Oh my gosh, like I'm here to see you, my friend. Like I miss you at school. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to just talk to you. And she was like, it really, you could, it took all her energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would wipe her out. She'd be, mm-hmm. it'd take her a full day or two to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. a simple thing like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That to me was like one of the most heartbreaking things with watching my mother pass mm-hmm. was knowing that all she wanted was to just have another normal conversation, like one last, ooh, I'm going to cry, one thing that was just not about her cancer or just not about how she was dying. She wanted to hang out with her friends one more time. Right. And it was such a show every time. I totally remember what you're talking about, just like she could not sit up, and she would, and she would act as normal as she could when her friends were over, and then it would absolutely drain her, and I just... Mm -hmm. That to me was like one of the most heartbreaking things that I watched is just knowing this is all she wanted. She just wanted time. And even the times that she got to spend were just so not what she wanted. Right. It's, that's really hard, especially to watch your daughter go through that. Yeah, that is. Um, and, and in her final two days, um, you know, um, I broke the mommy rule of privacy, and because she was so stoic and would never say, but I wanted her last two days on earth to be wonderful. Um, so I looked in her diary, and I saw that all she wanted was to see all her friends again before she died. That's all she wanted. 
So I called all of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was on the phone calling everybody, and everybody was on spring break, which was good because that meant a lot of you got to see her before she left. And, um, and uh, it was just, it, it took a lot of sacrifice on my part because I wanted to have every minute with her, but I knew this was going to make her happy. And it did. She was so delighted that everyone came. She couldn't speak, mm-hmm. but she she would smile when she'd hear their voices. She couldn't open her eyes either. And she'd smile. She'd lay there and smile as everyone talked to her and whispered in her ear and snuggled her. And, um, you know, I could tell that that had been the right thing to do. Uh, and then after everyone left, you know, I just went in and was snuggling her, and uh, I remembered the words of one of her doctors um, when we knew that she wasn't going to make it. He said, you know, Gil, sometimes the best thing we can give our loved ones is to let them know that it's okay to go. And he said, you know, your daughter loves you. She's worried about you, and... I didn't want to say, well, she has every right to be because I'm going to be a basket case when she goes. But, um, you know, those words came back to me in that moment as I was holding her hand and loving on her. And I just, I just leaned over to her and I whispered to her and I said, that was good seeing all your friends, wasn't it? She nodded and smiled. And I said do you love Jesus? And she smiled and nodded her head. And I said, do you want to go to heaven now? And she smiled even bigger and nodded even more profusely. And I said, okay, daddy and I are going to be okay. It's okay for you to go. And 12 hours later, she was gone. So, you know, these are hard things that we do for our loved ones, but they do hard things for us too. And I think I've been more mindful lately of our society. We are so wrapped up in happy, happy, happy. And we feel like we there is something wrong with us if we're not happy, happy, happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very uncomfortable for us to talk about grief, to talk about these great loves of our lives that are missing. And, and that, that absence is quite profound. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful to you girls for starting this podcast so that we can talk about our grief and know that it's okay. We are all going to suffer trauma and grief at some point in our life. We're, it, I mean, you can't avoid it's it. inevitable, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, are we going to do it with grace and love? And dignity. We can try, but, <laughs> but the likelihood yeah. of knowing how to is so hard. Well, I, I just, you know, I think about, I think about which way we can choose. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I'm a person who remembers decisions made and which path mm-hmm. I'm gonna choose. Oh. And it's like okay, this is one of those crossroads. I can either choose to be gracious and loving 
and help others, or I can choose to go down the vortex of grief and never come out again and become a bitter old woman who doesn't want to see anybody or do anything, you know, which is it going to be? But, you know, just, we're all responsible for those choices we make. We are. Yeah. Absolutely. It's part of controlling what we can. Right. And it does, yeah. like, I think it can bring hope to people to, like, look at decisions that way when they're in grief. Mm -hmm. Because it gives you a little bit more control. Because you can't control when you're going to feel your grief. And you right. can't control how it's going to hit you. But you can control how you're going to use grief in your life. Right. And you have done such a wonderful job. Those of you who don't know, Gail has dedicated the rest her life to helping other net patients. And you jumped right into it, Gail. You jumped right into it. She was on the road spreading awareness immediately, meeting families with patients of net cancer, meeting patients who had net cancer. Your losses grew because you were putting yourself in this space of wanting to be there for those who were experiencing what Anna experienced. And, I mean, not only that, but you've remained Mama Guilt to, like, so many people. It's crazy. And you've opened your house and your heart to so many people. And even just getting the text, the, the sacrifice you made to give people so much time with Anna in those last two days, I vividly remember getting that call and texting Kisa and saying, did you get a call? And she was like, yeah. And I'm like, we have to go now. We dropped everything. We went. And I just remember Anna being so, like, it just looked like there was a bubble of love around her. There were so many people there just holding space. No one was really talking or doing anything. We were all just kind of crying and holding her hand and kind of rotating who went into the room with her. And um, I remember Kisa and me, like, hanging out with her and of course, we talked about volleyball and running and <laughs> telling her all the things that we were going to do and that we weren't going to forget. And that I remember telling her, like, I'm going to run that half marathon. I swear. And I'm going to do it. I'm not going <laughs> to chicken out. I'm going to do it. And um, I just remember Keith and I leaning down to tell her we loved her. And we each kissed her on the cheek. And she gave us a hug. And we just were like, oh, my God. We're, like, bawling, sobbing, you know. It was just such a sacrifice on your part and Fred's to give us the time with her because that's so rare to be able to say like 48 hours before they left Earth, we were able to like share a moment with them. And I'm just so grateful. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was the right thing to do. And I think, you know, we all just need to keep doing the right thing in our journey, you know, just keep doing the next best thing and keep plucking forward yes. even when it's hard keep doing it and you you talked a little bit about Anna going to heaven yeah which she is she's in heaven yeah. and honestly I'm really jealous she and him and Laura get to hang out all the time like honestly pretty jealous me too <laughs> they're having their Chardonnay tequila and Prosecco probably barefoot at a yeah. river oh, somewhere like, like looking at us just being like oh my god stop Right. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. It's okay. We still love you, okay? Gosh. Can't you feel us? God. Oh, oh. So true. And so I just, true. I wonder, because Kate and I have both talked about our experience with faith before and after mm -hmm. uh, the loss of our loved one. What does that look like for you? Um, well, <laughs> I've 
I, I, you know, faith is kind of an ambiguous thing sometimes, and I think we interchange spirituality, faith, and religion, and I, I see them all as very different things. Um, I, if someone says you're religious, I kind of prickle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, I'm not religious. I, I don't go in for that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have a very close relationship with God, um, and I would rather have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, than ritual. Yes. <clears throat> so I, I, yeah, my faith is still intact. Oh. Yeah. And how, did you ever have any questions, like, to God? Like, were you ever asking God questions about what happened? Yeah, well, when we were still very happy and everything was great before Anna got sick, sometimes I would see her in the living room because our kitchen and living room were all open and everyone, I'd be cooking something and sometimes I'd hear God say, but you still love me and she leaves. And I was like, no, don't you dare. Um, And the honest answer, and I was always honest with him, Mm -hmm. you know, just said, I don't know. I don't know if I can still love you if she leaves. I don't know. And how can you know until you've experienced it? Right, right. I feel like that's exactly what everyone right. would feel in that moment. Yeah. If not, no. I think it's easy to question something that we have no control over. Right. And it's easier to place blame instead of trekking through. Right, right. And I think that you chose the hard way, which is the way that Anna life of having faith in something, meaning you believe in something even if there's no evidence, and trusting that it's God who's bringing you here for, for something. Yeah. We don't get to know why. That's something I tell people a lot that is probably the hardest thing, Whether no matter what you believe in. You never get to know why your loved one is gone. Until you're probably with them. And you're like, oh, that's why. Okay. Just have to wait our whole lives to get there. Yeah. Well, and and I think, you know, I've never blamed God for this. I mean, if if we believe that God is a good God and a loving God, well, then he can't propagate evil. Mm. So, you know, it's the other forces. It's the broken world we live in. It's, you know, it's not... God who delivers the bad stuff, but for some reason we like to blame him for it. Um, you know, I That's and maybe true. maybe being out in the park so soon after her death and working myself hard out there, you know, I I went into the wilderness and yeah. and by being in those quiet moments out there, I was able to feel the healing properties of of nature and of God and and even though it was tough um, you know I, I, I felt like that was a solace and a, a place of connection then you know some place some places I don't know maybe the veil's a little thinner in some places than others mm. <laughs> oh, I a thousand percent <laughs> feel that way yeah I do think that too I don't really have a faith or a relationship mm-hmm. with a higher power. Uh, I really do consider it more 
I do, I really believe in karma Mm -hmm. and I believe in, I do think everything happens for a reason and there's some sort of path, but I just don't know what, I like to say I believe in the universe and I believe in darkness and light Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you, that's a balance to me and I I think that everything is balanced. I think it's the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) I I do wonder, because I, I don't think my faith has much changed since my mom passed Mm -hmm. and I don't. I think I think a big change was it was my senior year of college because she was diagnosed a second time my junior year. Mm-hmm. I was going back and forth and it was a tough summer. Yeah. And senior year, I had a couple of friends that were very, I'm going to say religious, uh, and I was just curious. I was like, well, I just went through this thing with my mom, and you know, we're still kind of in it. I I do wonder, so I started going to church a little bit, and I was just kind of faking it, mm-hmm. and that was kind of like. I don't think my faith has changed much since that year. So can you tell us a little bit about how maybe once Anna left, how you found your belief again, or if it changed, or can you talk about maybe how... Maybe it strengthened. I know for me, I had a like flip from going from being very agnostic, like spiritual, mm-hmm. but I didn't grow up in a you know, believing in God, because that's just not what my parents believed. Yeah. But they allowed me the experience to explore. And I remember while my mom was sick, really resonating with the idea that, like, God was holding me and her in his arms. And after she left, even feeling closer to God and yeah. having a stronger relationship. So do you think there was a change, like Kate said? or No. No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Other than, I mean, I've... I probably have a really weird relationship with God or heaven or whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, I I got asked in some interviews right after Anna died, um, are you mad at God? And Mm. I was like, well, yes, I've had a few chosen words for him. You know, (laughs) without a tick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I don't have a problem, you know, cussing in front of him. But it's like, you know, I just kept feeling that unconditional love. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in my darkest moments, there was always just this love around me that uh, I couldn't deny. And uh, so um, I'm happy that that I have my faith. Um, I know not everyone does, and I I don't judge that. It's not a problem for me because I just believe in love. And uh, I think that's, the world would maybe be better off if we could get some other people in higher powers to believe in love. <laughs> that would be really a different world. <laughs> but you no, know, you know what I mean. I, I really do. And it's really interesting you say you believe in love because Kate and I draw this comparison all the time that grief is love, just yes. in a different form. Yes. And it's really hard to, you know, put quote unquote positive spin on grief. Because it's so heartbreaking, but like we've talked about, the only reason your heart is breaking because it was so full of love for that person. I like, I like when you say the spin because that's my little analogy of love and grief. It's this quarter, mm-hmm. and we have it sitting on our table, and it's heads up, the love side, for so many years. And we've gotten so used to just seeing that quarter heads up on our tabletop. And we love seeing that quarter heads up. It's wonderful. But on the other side of that quarter, and it's still a love quarter, 
there's you know it's it's still love Mm -hmm. you flip that quarter over and it's grief on the tail side and you don't like looking at that side as much because it makes you feel sad Mm -hmm. but it's still love and you can spin that quarter all you want and it's still love and it's that's you know love grief it's all the same you know um the happy side of the coin the sad side of the coin it's still love (laughs) you can't have one without the other and we have this fantasy from tv or culture or whatever it is and that's that okay we're born, we have a happy childhood, we grow into a productive adult year, and then when we get really old, we just fall asleep and die. And that's how life should be. And we believe this fantasy. It's indoctrinated into us, and we continue to hang on to this is how it should be. And then when something happens that isn't according to the script, we take it much harder. We seem to feel like something's gone horribly wrong with me or the world or something, when in fact, it hasn't. Oh. <laughs> it's still the same. It's just what was in our head as a script or reality isn't reality at all. And, so true. you know, there are people... In Ukraine right now crying for their babies too and crying for their husbands and boyfriends and you know we're not special because we've lost a child or our moms or our dads and I try to remind myself yeah. of that when I'm tempted to go down the grief vortex mm-hmm. um, you know on those bad days that we all have from time to time and it's okay to have them mm-hmm. but you know at some point you got to grab yourself by the back of the neck and you got to say, nope, I need to go do something productive to help someone else today because oh. I'm going to go down that toilet bowl and I'm not going to come back. So, yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, there are so many thoughts I have just from that too. one. Too. Wow. <clears throat> I love that you said that we're not special. Yes. Because I think our loss is probably the most unspecial thing about us, but what is special is the relationship that we had with our people. Right. And I think that is like, like our saying that we have lost a loved one is not unique, but the legacy that we all carry and the love that we hold and the power that they instilled in us and that we get to carry through our life now, that is what's special. Right. Mm. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It takes that idea of having a choice of which, how we're going to work with our grief yeah and by choosing you know transcendence and pushing forward and right. moving through the grief it allows us to be special yeah. that is where we get yeah. to kind of not show off but i mean <laughs> you know like yeah well no you you've heard the saying be the person your dog thinks you are oh you know yes. well yes. so why don't we try to be the people that our loved ones thought we were what, what if we really rose to what they saw in us? What if we rose up and said, I'm going to be better than what I've been? 
I'm going to be the person my daughter, my mom thought I was. Mm-hmm. What would happen? <laughs> and even framing it that way of a question is so powerful because it doesn't set another expectation. Right. Because like you said, you know, society has created this expectation that, I mean, from my opinion, I think that society creates this expectation. You lose someone, their funeral happens, you're over it. Yep. And it's okay. And it's just not true at all. That's <laughs> like the farthest what? thing from the truth. It's the in beginning. The world. Yes, it is. And you kind of are left thinking, like, what do I do next? And sometimes it's not even the beginning. Sometimes it's you're in, in this waiting period of just like, well, what do we do like now? Like me, I, the beginning of my grief did not hit until like six months after my mom passed. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. a weird, like, I don't mm-hmm. feel anything. <laughs> yeah. Everything's gray. <laughs> It really was for you. It you was were like, so great. I feel like I should like should check in on me. Like, what are you feeling? Because like, should I be feeling something different right Seriously, now? I was like, like, what should be happening? Yeah, right now? No, it should be just the way that you feel it when you feel it. Mm-hmm. Because that's another important thing is people need to be very respectful of other people's different way of grieving than their own. You know, mm-hmm. people grieve very very differently yeah Mm -hmm. and and we need to realize that and we need to give them all the space and all the love that we can Mm -hmm. without yeah that does take time it does take time yeah i'm still practicing it right now right because i grieve very differently than my family does yes right takes practice but it's good to remember it's also good for yourself to know of like you're not doing anything wrong no Mm -hmm. not at all not at all the way you grieve is the way you grieve Mm -hmm. right it's right. just how it's going to happen. And you can, it's like my mom would always say, like, when you get caught by a riptide, like you can let it roll out and move to the side or you can fight it and get taken down mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. The more you fight what feelings are coming up and what you, your body and God is like telling you, you need to express the more you're going to get thrown with that feeling because you're not working through it. You're trying to find a way around it. That's a super good analogy. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just feel like that is how it is. And yeah. On the, you know, on the idea of people grieving differently, especially within families, how did losing Anna affect your relationship with your family? Oh, um, well, my, my sister Leslie in Alaska, we're really close. And, um, you know, she, she, well, she saved our lives. <laughs> There's no way around it. We would have died that first month without her being there taking care of us. Oh, neither one of us had the will to live then. Um, so yeah, I'm so grateful to my sister for what she did. I mean, she was force feeding us water, (laughs) Mm -hmm. trying to keep us going. Sorry. I mean, you talk about great love. That's great love. And she was suffering too. I Mm -hmm. mean, it was her niece, but she kind of put it all aside and took care of us. Excuse me, sorry. Get it together, Gil. No, you don't need to on this podcast. Um, um, But yeah, um, well, my parents are both gone. Well, my mom died four months after Anna died, so that was that's another story. But um, anyway, um, yeah, my husband and I grieve very differently, and we have always been. I mean, we've never really had too many disagreements in life. You know, we've been very happy, but but losing your only child 
I mean, there's a reason the divorce rate for losing an only child is 90% or more. So I'm, I'm just going to say that. Mm-hmm. But I think because of our, the basis of our relationship has been respect. And I have been a, I, I've, I've been a very independent woman. We'll just mm-hmm. put it at that. Yeah. <laughs> he would probably stay say hard headed, but <laughs> independent. Is the independent. Right way. Listen, yeah, we're we're on the air. We're gonna make this sound good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I can I can be very hard headed and stubborn, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it, it. We we decided early on that um, we had to respect each other's way of grieving. But with that is a loss too, because ever and I've had I've had people who I've been consoling over the loss of their spouse from cancer say, "Yeah, but at least you still have your husband." Oh, at least never start a sentence like that. We hate at Ugh, least. We hate at least. Hate at least. Well. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I know why. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. When you lose your child, you also have this separation from your spouse because you, everyone goes, oh, well, you can lean on each other. And almost romantically, you oh. know, that this is going to be some sort of magical time where you've got each other, you know, and it's like Ugh. nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. <laughs> and no one, but no one will come out and say this, you know, mm-hmm. this is like really taboo to talk about this in any circle, even the circle that it's happening in. And, but I'm here to say it happens. And you know, the only way to get through it is to just keep loving and respecting and going, okay, that's not how I'm feeling about it, but you know what? I respect your right to feel that way. Anna's first birthday after she was gone, you know, tough one. I was still out on the park run at that time, Mm -hmm. and we're sitting there, and it was like, I can't be here. I can't be here for her first birthday after she's left. And um, I looked at Fred, and I said, I know you need to work to get through that day, you know, because that's how he deals with it. And that's, that's fine. You mm-hmm. know, you deal with it the way you need to deal with it. But I can't be here. So I'm going to the Grand Canyon. And I'm going to go find the rock that Anna and I sat on overlooking the canyon with our feet dangling off. And I'll be there. So call anyway. me if you need me. And I did. I, I, you know, cold morning, I went to the Grand Canyon. I did 10 miles and uh, from one end of the canyon to the other. And I could, and bless his heart, I did not want to call him. I couldn't find the rock again that we had sat on oh, before. Stop it. And, you know, I'm running back and forth on the canyon trail, and I can't find it. And I am I'm beside myself. And I call him, and I say... I know you don't probably want to hear this right now, but I can't find the rock, and I need to find the rock. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to find that rock. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, where are you at right now? Take a picture oh. and show me. And so we're sharing location, you know. And he pulls up the picture of Anna and I sitting on this rock, and he goes, okay, I think it's just a little to your right. So he helped me find this rock. 
And I sat there with Anna's teddy bear and a little half bottle of Lamarca Prosecco, our favorite. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, the snow started falling on me as I'm hanging my feet off the canyon. And, you know, it was just like, you know, thank God for my husband. And, you know, so, but you can't, you know, that would have never happened if I'd said, well, why won't you come to the Grand Canyon with me? You know, you're so insensitive. You just want to work through it all. You know, so that there's magic that comes out of letting the other person be who they need to be and deal with that grief the way they need to. I mean, the wherewithal you even have going through loss to be able to reflect on how Fred is also feeling. Whoa. I mean, like, that takes some serious strength. It takes serious reflection, which can be painful, while you're already going through the most painful time of your life. So for you to be able to have that wherewithal and not set expectations for Fred, even when you're feeling completely shattered, is an insane example of how how you can get through grief with family members who differ in their grief style. Well, think about it this way. If you're feeling completely shattered from the loss that you've just experienced and you think that person's going to be there to hold you and hold you up and comfort you, they're shattered too. Mm -hmm. In what world does that make a lick of sense? Mm -hmm. You you know, that's so crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you cannot expect another shattered person to be your comfort and rock when they're laying there in pieces too. That's so true. But that happens all the time. People go, well, he should have been there for me or she should have been there for me. It's like, they're in a pile of chips, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how? They're not even yeah, there. How can right. they be there for you if they're not even existing either? Exactly. So, exactly. So It's so powerful because I do think, like you were saying, in general, people expect that when a family or a couple loses someone they love, oh, you grow closer and yada yeah, yeah. Maybe that happens over time, which is great. But I do think that the way it's portrayed in American society is that it happens immediately. Yes. You right. all bond together. You right. all get through it together. When in reality, most of the people I've talked to and what I've experienced, you grieve so differently from the ones you love and you're grieving the same person with maybe the same relationship to them. Mm-hmm. No way you could grieve the same. <clears throat> no. No. No way in hell. Yeah. So to lead with empathy, like you're talking about, always reminding yourself if you want to have somebody to have empathy for yourself. You're going to have to show empathy to the people who are grieving too. Yeah. So powerful. And I think it could really change the way people expect to feel with their family and their loved ones after they lose that common person. Yeah. I really think so. Think of it as two parallel sidewalks with a little gap in between. And every once in a while, you know, he's on that sidewalk. I'm on this sidewalk. We're going the same direction. We're facing the same loss. But... <laughs> it looks different. You know, my sidewalk is pebbles. His sidewalk is concrete. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but don't forget to reach out and hold the hand of the person walking beside you. Oh. You need to reach across that gap and make sure that you keep that connection, even though you realize you're both, you're both on the same journey. It's just you're on different sidewalks. Yes. And that's why I think... I and, love that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's why I think something that you shared with me is that you went to grief counseling group. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so did I. And mm-hmm. I found it extremely helpful for this reason because my family and I grieved very differently. Yeah. And so I felt like I needed community and I needed validation, which obviously people who are experiencing something in the same way can't give you validation if they need it too. So when you're in this group of people who have experienced grief, it's likely someone is experiencing it the same way you are. Mm-hmm. And it's so comforting to know, even though the person I, I'm like closest to in this situation, like your husband, your dad, your sister, whatever, isn't feeling it the same way, I know that someone is. Like, I know I'm not crazy, mm-hmm. and I know we can get through this. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that is a really good reason to go to grief counseling. And I did both. I did private counseling and, and group. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, and then COVID hit. But, um, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's important because you, you know you're not alone in the general experience mm-hmm. of loss. Mm-hmm. And, and it's true. Grief changes the longer we're out from it. It, it does change. It's true. Um, you know, when you're initially in it, I mean, you know, it's it's the old analogy of being thrown off the sea-wrecked ship in the ocean, you know, with a horrible storm going. You've got your little piece of wood you're clinging to, and the waves are just pounding you. You can't even breathe. And then eventually you can breathe a little bit. I mean, you still get pounded every once in a while with an unexpected moment of grief. We've mm-hmm. all had that where you go, wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh dear. <laughs> Where's my board? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I just got knocked off my board unexpectedly. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, but we learn through experiences, same with life and life experience. You know, we talk about life experience. Well, they're not old enough to have that kind of life experience, you know. But those of us who have lived a little longer, who have experienced these types of losses, and have, you know, like Saturday will be five years from Anna's passing. And, you know, I do feel like I'm a little better this year than I was the last four years. Um, I'm holding it together, although you, nobody will believe that today, but you know, <laughs> I am, I am functioning a mm-hmm. little bit better than I have been the last four years. So yes. I think that's the other thing is just be gentle with yourself, mm-hmm. be gentle, you know, mm-hmm. I, I tell everyone who has experienced grief, and I've told you this too, (laughs) you need to throw woulda, shoulda, and coulda out of your vocabulary when you're going through a time of grief. And you need to throw, maybe permanently, maybe throw it out permanently. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe your life will be better if you just get rid of those words. Wow, isn't that um, true? Yeah. Oh my God. It's so true. Mm -hmm. And with that, do you think like your relationship with yourself has changed since you lost Anna? Oh, I don't know. I kind of feel like the same person, mm-hmm. but um, maybe more gracious to others, maybe a little less judgmental. Um, 
I mean, I never thought I was very judgmental, but maybe I'm even better now about that. Maybe I'm a little kinder and understanding towards people. That's amazing. If you could give a piece of advice to those who are grieving, what would it be? Mm, that's complicated. Mm. Very complicated. Um, if, if you're in the middle of losing someone who is about to pass, I would say don't lie. Speak your truth. Um, do not lie to the patient, especially if it's a child. Do not lie because you are the person that child trusts with everything. And if they can't believe you and they know you're lying, they're not, you have just put them in a horrible, horrible place of being completely alone with their illness and they can't trust anybody, not even mommy and daddy, mm. because mommy and daddy just lied to me and told me I'm gonna be okay. So don't do that. <laughs> um, if you're already suffering loss, I would say just be kind to yourself. Go for walks as often as you can. Drink as much water as you can. Mm. I mean, those are simple things, but... But they're true. But they're, like they're, true. they're true. They're yeah. true. I mean... You need sunshine and water yeah, to yeah. get through it. You do. Yeah. You do. And get yourself into those natural settings as much as you can where your soul can be restored and you can find just that... You've already been stripped down by the grief. Okay, you're laying there naked on the floor, bawling your eyes out. So why not be somewhere in an environment that can nurture you and let you lay there in your grief and, you know, whisper through you, through the waterfall or through the leaves in the trees and just kind of bring you back to your center and... and just, you know, feel what you need to feel and don't feel bad about it. You know, oh, whatever yes. it is you need to do, do that for yourself. I love that. And love. Love. Love yourself and love others. And you won't go wrong. I think. I just I admire you both so much and what you're doing and I mean you're 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 it you're the epitome of giving back and and helping people through this really rough spot of wow I have just lost the most important person in my life what do I do but to hear that from you it's like yeah. getting in a I don't know, a Nobel Peace Prize or something. We're just taking a page of your book. That kind of validation. We are going by your example. Literally. You've set the curve. We're just trying to keep up. We're just following it. We're in the gill coaster and we're ready to go. No, no, no. You have your own journeys and you're doing it brilliantly. Thank you, Gilles. You're welcome. Wow. Well, here's to Anna. Here's to Anna. Here's to Anna. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.